Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. The purpose of this call is just to give you a quick uh, snapshot in a timely manner to review our thesis that we are in a multi-year bull market for oil. Uh, obviously, we've had a huge rebound in energy stocks. We thought it would be of critical importance to get out to you now to communicate our views for the next uh, year to several years so that as stocks keep moving, you don't miss out on the opportunity. So we've got a few slides that we just want to walk through our thesis. Some of these themes we've, we've spoke in the past. Others are new that further support our view that oil is in a four to five year or longer bull market. We think that the oil price today of about $70 is completely justified by fundamentals, i.e. where inventories are. You are getting a free call option on the political uncertainty in the world, which uh, some have uh, declared as the most volatile period in their careers when you think about what could or could not happen in countries like Iran, Libya, Nigeria, uh, Saudi Arabia. You get a free call option on that. We believe that oil is heading into the 80s, if not higher, in the next two years because the market will remain undersupplied. Global supply has the inability to respond meaningfully to the increase in underlying demand, and hence the oil price will have to rally high enough to kill off or rationalize demand. So let's walk through that thesis, and then we'd like to explain how we're positioned and why we see more than 100% upside in energy stocks from today's level. And, and very importantly, all you need to do is buy into where we already are with oil at $68. If you believe in the sustainability of that price level, and hopefully at the end of the next eight or nine minutes you will, energy stocks represent 100% upside. We do not require our much more bullish thesis of $80 or higher to come to fruition to be able to uh, obtain those, uh, those upsides. So in terms of the multiple bull market, how did we get here? So obviously oil went through a, a crash as a result of oversupply over uh, several years. What we have had recently is extraordinarily strong demand. Q1 demand globally was up 2.2 million barrels per day. That's the strongest rate of growth in about a decade. We've had very strong OPEC compliance to their historic production cut that came into effect at the end of 2016. That led to the strongest drawdown in inventories in history. There was a glut at the beginning of last year of over 330 million barrels. By our math, as of March, so a couple of months ago, the market entered into balance. We see inventories reaching a 10-year low by the end of this year. When we look to uh, the drawdown in inventory, again, it's, it's very, very important to, one, realize that the market today is undersupplied. The market uh, was undersupplied last year by, by about 700,000 barrels per day. And when we look to 2018, through the combination of strong demand growth, uh, high compliance to OPEC's cut, and faltering supply around the world, countries such as Norway are in decline, China in decline, and the U.S. having the inability to meaningfully scale production as a result of pipeline constraints, equipment constraints, labor constraints, and constraints being placed on them by their very own investors who are demanding a return of capital as opposed to growth. All of those are resulting in a market that will remain undersupplied for at least the end of this year. And on slide four, what we show is as this trend continues, inventories will reach a 10-year low. On the next slide, what we show is there's a very strong correlation between inventories because those really are the representation of supply and demand. If, if demand for oil exceeds su supply, the barrels have to come from somewhere, they come from inventories, hence why everybody watches it so closely on a weekly basis with the DOE numbers and on a monthly basis when the IEA releases global inventory levels. Today's inventory level fully supports 
$70. Where we see oil inventories heading fully supports a price of $80 or higher. There are four elements to multi-year bull market uh, for oil. One comes down to OPEC. We're going to walk through how we believe that the compliance for the remainder of this year will remain very high to their production cut. Then we're going to walk through why we think the 1.2 million barrels per day of reported shut-ins is actually quite false. We actually think that number is about half of what they advertise for what could come back onto the market. The second element is U.S. shale. We are firm believers that U.S. shale will continue to grow for the next several years. Where we digress, in our opinion, is by the magnitude. And the headline that we have is, while it's good, it's not good enough because it's not enough to offset the third aspect of the bull market, which is non-OPEC, non-US production, which is 50% of global oil production. We will show you that as a result of the crash in the oil price and the crash then of upstream investment in long-lead projects, that this area of oil production, 50% global oil production, is about to enter a multi-year decline. The last uh, aspect is demand. Demand last year was up about 1.7 million barrels per day. That rate of growth is actually increasing. We're projecting growth of 1.8 million barrels per day. We already have a one quarter under our belts of 2.2 million. So demand is very, very strong. The five-year average is 1.2 million. So demand is not an issue. When we then look at OPEC, so we had written extensively the last year that we thought that out of a need for self-preservation, OPEC would be very compliant to their cut. We now have compliance last month, uh, I believe, at about 160%. There's two aspects to that. One is voluntary. The second is involuntary. So when it comes to voluntary, we're specifically talking about Saudi Arabia and Russia adhering to the amount of production that they removed from the market. We also have had the added benefit of involuntary um, production cuts, namely from Venezuela, where they are circling the toilet. Production there has been falling by about 100,000 barrels per day per month. The situation in countries getting worse and worse. We can't get into it in detail for time's sake, but we see that trend continuing. When we look at the combination of the voluntary and involuntary cuts, so here we show the compliance was in excess of 100% since the deal. On uh, the next slide, we show uh, that the amount of barrels, and this is one of the key concerns people have. I find when I discuss with clients, there's three. One is, well, what the heck is going to happen when the shut-in barrels comes back onto the market? That'll just crush the oil price. Two is U.S. shale. My God, it's just going to keep increasing by a million, four million, five per year, and that'll crush the oil rally. And then the third is on demand. The point that we wanted to drive home is we do not think OPEC has all that much production to come back onto the market. And on the next slide, we will tell you why. You need to appreciate that heading into the production freeze, there was a lot of gamesmanship. A lot of countries, specifically Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi, and the UAE, drove up production beyond what their wells and what their fields would sustain over the long term to try to goose up their production because the conversation at that time was about a production freeze, not about a production cut. It was only after the price of oil not improving from that gamesmanship that OPEC decided to uh, cut production by what I believe to be an historic amount. So as they drove up production artificially, it's not like they were bringing on new wells. It was just pulling on the wells harder. They achieved an artificially high level. And how we measure that is we use the first six-month average of 2016 measured against the high watermark. And what we show is countries like Iraq goosed production by 200,000 barrels per day, Kuwait by 100, Saudi Arabia by 350, the UAE by 260. What we're referring to these as vapor barrels. They amount to 900,000 barrels per day of fictitious 
production that never would have come on to the market had there not been this gamesmanship of trying to play off of the um, the, the, the status or, um, uh, system. At the same time, we've had Venezuelan production fall by 700,000 barrels per day. So it, it would be um, common for people to say, well, OPEC production is down 2.2 million barrels per day. That is all going to come back onto the market. But if you exclude Venezuela and exclude the vapor barrels, OPEC has a whopping 600,000 barrels per day of production to come back onto the market. That represents only four months of demand growth, one-third of one year of demand growth. Then that's all of the spare capacity. A critically important point is on the next slide. What this shows is that uh, because OPEC was staring into the abyss as oil cratered into the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and even the, 50, even the 60s, they were facing essentially extinction because so much of their, oil re of their state revenues from oil revenue. And as a result, because of decreasing cash flow, they had to put that money increasingly as a percentage into social spending and less into investment into the oil and gas sector through investing in longer lead projects. And this is a great chart from Simmons, and it shows that after next year, there are effectively no large-scale projects coming on within OPEC for the next three years. And this supports the claim out of the IEA that OPEC has the ability to only grow by 100,000 barrels per day per year to 2023. I remind you, demand this year we think will be up 1.8 million barrels per day. So OPEC, which is 40% of global oil production, can satisfy 5% of demand growth. We then move into the United States. The U.S. is 10% is of global oil production. Shale production, which is what we were referring historically as the swing producer, is only 6% of global oil supply. And while it's good, it's not good enough to make up for what OPEC can produce and the next theme that we're going to be talking about. We think as a result of pipeline constraints, which we show on the next slide, as a result of labor constraints in Midland, Texas, the unemployment rate is about 2.4%. The employment rate of men with high school educations that will be manning the rigs and frack equipment and driving trucks is at an all-time high. So there's a significant labor challenge. There's a trucking shortage. There's an equipment shortage through a shortage of pressure pumping equipment. So we think that the U.S. is constrained at about 1 to 2 million barrels per day per year, which again may sound like a lot, but demand is growing by 1.8 million barrels per day, and OPEC can only grow by 100,000 barrels per day. And that leads into our last major theme, and that is non-OPEC U.S. production is 50% of global oil supply. What we show on the next slide is that as a result of the deepest crash in the history of the oil, it resulted in the, the biggest drop in spending and upstream uh, from oil and gas companies around the world. And unlike in Canada, in the United States, where companies drill wells and they take four to six months from the time you start the well to the time it starts producing, these are very long lead projects. They take four to six years. And instead of costing millions of dollars, they cost billions of dollars. So as a result of the lack of spending beginning in 2014, and again in 15, 16, 17, 18, and, and still probably in 2019, it didn't have an immediate impact on production globally because of that long lead. The drop in spending in 14 is now starting to, to impact uh, global supply. And what we show is that beginning next year, the amount of new production coming on from these large projects within non-OPEC, non-US countries, which again is 50% of global oil supply, falls in half. What does this mean? We show on the next slide. OPEC, non-US production is about to go into a multi-year decline beginning next year. 
And when we then look at the backdrop of demand growth, which we see continuing to appreciate, and we're, we're going to put all of this uh, together in a, in a couple of slides, we see the global oil market remaining undersupplied for the next several years. When we look at demand, demand, as I mentioned, running up 1.8 million barrels per day this year, despite the concerns about electric car Tesla that we show on this slide, we've borrowed this from uh, BMO that did a fantastic report on electric cars. What they show is that road transportation is less than half of global oil demand. When you look into that, what's the real target of electrification of the auto fleet? It's really uh, light passenger cars. So that's only 26% of global oil demand. The other 74% is more linked to global GDP expansion. So when we talk about aviation, rail, um, uh, marine vessels, petrochemicals, power generation, that's all growing because the global economy is doing fairly well. When we look then at the, that remaining 26%, every 1 million cars sold that displace internal combustion engines reduces oil demand by 14,000 barrels per day. Total electric car sales last year were about 1 million. So yes, demand growth was, was stymied by a whopping 14,000 barrels per day, and yet demand was able to grow by 1.7 million barrels per day because that much, much larger piece of the pie is growing. We think that uh, eventually, you know, in the decades and decades ahead, electrification is likely where we differ in opinion is the time frame to get to a point where electric cars displace a meaningful amount of oil demand. Every reasonable forecast we've seen, and which we show in the next slide, is out 2030. So let's put this all together, and then I want to summarize the upside that we see. We are in a multi-year bull market for oil. The oil market was undersupplied last year. It is undersupplied this year, and that undersupply will persist for the next several years. What we show is that even if the rate of demand growth falls from 1.8 to 1.6 to 1.4, even if the U.S. is able to grow oil production by 1.2 million barrels per day per year for the next several years, which I have many forecasts, even just yesterday I was reading from Morgan Stanley, their number for next year is about 900,000, not 1.2 million. We assume that OPEC and Russia, once they bring on the full 1.2 million barrels per day, we're not accounting for any vapor barrels, that they can still grow at 400,000 barrels per day, which is only four times higher than what the IEA is saying, even by being conservative on all of those fronts, the oil market will remain undersupplied. And we'll be doing more work in the next month to two months about what precisely does this mean about inventories. But what we can say now is it would drive down global inventories to critically low levels below what refineries need to be able to function properly. So this scenario that we have on this piece of paper cannot come to pass. What must happen is the oil price must rally high enough to rationalize or kill demand because given the long lead nature of supply from non-OPEC, non-US countries, which is 50% global supply, again, that four to six year lead time, even if oil was at $5,000 a barrel per day, and you're the CEO of Suncor, and you say, okay, boys, let's go sanction an oil sand project and react to this oil price, it would take you four years. If you're the CEO of Royal Dutch Shell, and you want to go and, and start to finally develop a project off the coast of Africa or the coast of the UK North Sea, it would take you five years or six years. So the global oil supply lacks the ability to meaningfully react to either a surge in the oil price or a drop-off in supply due to one of the five politically risky hotspots around the world. So 
in that context, with that as our backdrop, if you only believe where oil is, there is 100% upside or more in multiple energy stocks that we would own in the Nine Point Energy Fund. If you buy into our much more bullish thesis, we see meaningfully higher upside than that, which sounds maybe a little loony, but if you think about what's transpired over the past year and four months, the price of oil from January 1st, 2017 to today is up about 22% in Canadian dollar terms. Over that same time frame, multiple oil stocks are down by 50%. So just to get back to where these stocks were a year and four months ago, before oil rallied by a further 22%, the stocks that they've fallen by 50% would have to go up 100%. And over that same time frame again, oil is up 22%, and these companies have driven off out a lot of fat and, and have leaned up their cost structure. So their businesses are much, much better today than they have been in recent history. So we're extraordinarily bullish on the oil price. We see very meaningful upside in the oil stocks. And finally, it feels like the turn in sentiment, and i.e. the turn in energy stocks, is real. When we look at block activity, when we look at inbound interest from energy sales specialists, when we look at how stocks are reacting to bad news, like today, Sonova's put out a horrifically horrible quarter, and the stock is up 6% as we speak. So the signs are there. We are in a bull market, and finally people are starting to realize. So I went on for 17 minutes, as long as I had intended, but I, I wanted to get out to you in a timely manner so that you do not miss the turn. We want to learn from what happened in January and February of 2016 when we had fundamentals on our side. It was just a sentiment problem. And when sentiment reversed, we had names that were gapping up 20% a day for four days in a row. Our fund rallied by 143% from the lows in January by the end of the year. We think the setup today is better than what it was in 2016. So we'll leave that with you. If you have any questions of any kind, please reach out to your wholesaler or reach out to me directly. And thank you very much for your time.